His was a life defined by acts of faith that would change the course of history. Join us as Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches from the Bible on Abraham and the difficult journey of faith. Genesis chapter 12. If you found it, would you say amen? All right. Uh, now, Sunday night at Canyon Ridge is supposed to be a little bit of a, what we call a revival spirit. It ought to be exciting when we come here. Uh, I don't understand. How many of you understand people who come to church and they're down in the mouth about it? Like, oh, we want to learn something deep about God, so we got to be quiet. Can I tell you, heaven's going to be a loud, fun place? No, let me say, it's going to be a loud, fun place. It's not going to be dead or dry or dull or boring. So don't come in like that because I'll start calling it out. I just, I'm called, COVID has changed my whole worldview about stuff. And that is, we're just going to have fun in the Lord's house. No sense coming here if we're not going to have fun. So we're going to enjoy coming here. We're going to learn a lot, but let's have a good time. So if you would stand with me, Genesis chapter 12, just because you've been seated a long time and I don't want you to fall asleep or to get, you know, deep vein thrombosis or something like that. I don't even know if I said that right, but um, I want you to stand with me. Genesis chapter 12, verse number one. Now, now here's what's going to happen. We're going to read the text, and then I'm going to spend a good amount of time giving you a background for Abraham's life, and then I'll preach the message. All right? So you're going to get a background and a shorter message. But if we don't understand the background, we don't understand the impact of the gospel in a person's life. How many of you have ever talked to somebody and then they, they're trying to help you understand where they're coming from? So what do they do? They give you background. What do they give you background? Because it affects the decisions or the thought process somebody might have. So that's what we'll do. So Genesis chapter 12, verse number one. Now the Lord had said unto Abram. Now I'm going to say Abraham this whole time. But here his name is Abram and it will change to Abraham. Why am I not going to say Abram? Because I'll forget halfway through. So I just made the decision the other day to call him Abraham the whole time through. But I'm giving the caveat, God has not yet changed his name. That'll be a wonderful time when we get to that in the, in the text, but I just know me, so we're going to, I'm going to say Abraham. Now the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Let me just stop and say, I don't know who's going to be our president in January and neither does anyone else. Seems like it's constantly in flux right now. I have an opinion about it, and I'll save that for when I'm ready to say that I want the guy not president-elect to be the president. But I will say this. If America has any hope, we better not turn our back on the people of God, the nation of Israel. They are God's chosen people. So they say, well, I don't like that. Well, you didn't get to decide, and neither did I. It's God, they're God's chosen people and God will bless the nation that blesses the people of God. That's just a total aside, but make no mistake, that is biblical theology, that he will bless those that bless them. And we as a nation ought to bless the nation of Israel. And, and we have, I have no problem saying that. I mean, people can differ on it, but the scripture is really, really clear throughout the word of God. And so as a nation, we ought to bless them. Anyway, that's just a little aside. Verse number four. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram 
was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of, of Shechem, that's also Shechem, just north of Jerusalem, into the land of Shechem, unto the plains of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land, and there he, Abram, builded, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. I'm going to preach tonight once we get there on the subject, a major change of plans. You may be seated. As far as background goes, after the flood, the literal flood that encompassed the entire earth, the world was populated by the descendants of Noah's three sons, or repopulated, we might say, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Abram came from the line of Shem. Shem was a man of character, and Genesis chapter 11 gives us an invaluable genealogy. We won't read it all, but it traces the line of Shem down to Abraham. From this genealogy, we can discern that Abraham was born about three to 400 years. We don't know the exact time, but here's a general, general number. Three to 400 years after the flood, and about 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. So that would put Abraham uh, on the scene about halfway between Adam and Christ. Again, we're not saying exact days, but in a general sense, he would have come on the earth about halfway between the time of Adam and Christ. If you look at chapter 11, verse number 27, Abram's father was a man named Terah. And Terah was, according to Joshua chapter 24, a verse that we will look at at some point, Joshua chapter 24, verse number 2, his father was an idolater. He was an idolater. And Abraham was very attached to his father. As a matter of fact, I would argue that he was too attached to his father. Um, this is seen by the fact that Abraham did not fully obey the Lord until his father had died, and his father was a stumbling block to Abraham, and he did not encourage Abraham to fully obey God's command, but led him into, for lack of a better phrase, led him into disobedience, led him into disobedience. And so that's Abram's, Abraham's father. He was, he was not a great man of faith. He was not a great man of God. He was simply a idolater who did not encourage Abram to walk with God. And let me say this. I am proud of the men here tonight who are raising their families to live for Christ. 
I am proud of you. I thank God for you. There are so many people in this world that discourage their children from living for Christ. They discourage their children from doing exactly what God wants them to do. And I am immensely thankful. And Trey, thanks for leading us to pray for our kids tonight and our families, our teens and our children. Because without prayer, without the grace of God, they, we are without hope. And boy, Abram wanted his children to live for God, just as, or, or, or his, his father didn't, but Abram did. And we desire to do that. We desire to see our kids live for Christ. Live for Christ. Abram had two brothers in uh, verse number 27 of chapter 11. Uh, they were older brothers, Haran and Nahor, and they both played a significant part in his life. Uh, Haran played a role in Abram's life because of his son Lot. Haran died before uh, Abram was called to go into the promised land and to leave Ur of the Chaldees. And, and uh, when he died, uh, when Haran died, his son Lot, who was not a man of high character, still needed some parental influence. And so his grandfather, Terah, who is Abram's father, took him under his wing and then Terah died. And so Abram took uh, Lot and Lot, we understand from the scripture and we'll see this in future weeks, Lot was a man without character. He was a man that lived for pleasure. Lot needed a lot of parental oversight. And so Abram took his son uh, or his nephew in as a son. And then Abram's other brother, Nahor, played a significant role in Abraham's life. Uh, in that Nahor's granddaughter, Rebekah, became the bride of Abraham's son, Isaac. So his brother's daughter. So the two cousins married. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And then Nahor's great-granddaughters, Rachel and Leah, became the wives of Abraham's grandson, Jacob. He got a two-for-one deal. Not good. I'm just saying that's what happened. It's never good. I'm just, I mean, don't get, some people are like, well, I'll trade this one in and get a new model. It's always downhill from there. Just downhill. If she'll take you men in your old age, you don't want her. She's, anyway, I'll stop there. Doesn't seem like y'all are with me on this point. I might have to preach about not having more than one wife. Somebody should have said amen there. And I just got a few guys going, <laughs> that's what you think. <laughs> well, just being honest. Abraham's wife was Sarah, Sarah, or Sarai, as she is called in this text. She was a blood relative of Abraham. She was his half-sister. She was his father's daughter, but not his mother's daughter. She was his father's daughter. The early history of man necessitated marriage of near kin, of siblings, skeptics of the Bible. It was due to the smallness of the population. And I've, I've heard more than enough people who, who think that they're coming up with some unique idea to really, you know, get at the Bible-believing Christian. And they'll say things like this, well, where did Cain get his wife? Well, duh. It was either his sister or his niece. It's not rocket science, what do you think, God created another group over here just so Cain could marry somebody? No, it was either his sister or his niece. Well, why would that happen? Because there were no other people. 
Well, how did God feel about it? Obviously, he felt fine about it. A lot of things he didn't like about Cain, but seemed like that one was, was okay. And he, and he did that because that was God's plan for a time. For a time. Men would get his wife that they were related. You could marry closely. But let me just say, that does not justify that practice today because the law came out very, very clearly and said, can't marry your relatives. Besides the fact that it's stinking creepy, who wants to marry their sister? I don't even know if my sister's human. I love her to death, but man, alive. I mean, she's watching me online. My sister views me like a, a pet, and I view her like a... a, 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 a in... <laughs> wonderful, wonderful woman. That's how I view her who spent most of her childhood torturing her little brother. That's how I view her. And I hope that she gets her comeuppance one of these days, but she's never got it from my parents because she is the privileged child. I'll tell you what, parents should never have favorites, but mine did. And let me tell you, that's why my sister's got problems. Some of you follow her on Facebook. I hope you'll unfollow her and the other Satanist groups. <laughs> I'm kidding. Those of you that don't know my sister, she really is a woman of the Lord. I was going to say a woman of the Lord of the flies, but I just stopped right there. She is a wonderful, wonderful lady. But Abraham married his sister. And by the way, I, I, I don't know why some people have such a problem with this. I mean, obviously, if we believe that God created the world and God created Adam and Eve and then their offspring, well, then obviously, yes, we have no problem in saying that God orchestrated and allowed in his timetable, in his way, God orchestrated and allowed that you would marry a relative. But by the time the law gets here, God says, no, 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 absolutely not. You can't marry your brother. You can't marry your sister. You can't marry your half-sister. You, you shouldn't marry your cousins. That's just weird. No, don't do it. But uh, things have changed. Things were different before that. So anyway, Abraham was from a region called Ur of the Chaldees. I meant to have a map for you, but you'll see it in weeks to come. Uh, from Ur of the Chaldees and is located, it's a big region, but the region that Abraham was from was where, and you might have a map in the back of your Bible or something like that, where the Euphrates River emptied into the Persian Gulf. So southern, what you might say, Iraq, uh, that's, that's the region Abraham was from. And scholars tell us that, that it was a, a beautiful area um, and inform us that the area that, that he lived in was the result of the silting of the Gulf area, Gulf area over the centuries and extended hundreds of miles. And, and where Ur of the Chaldees is today uh, would have probably been further south in Abram's day. But it lies uh, today in the southeast corner of Iraq, about 75 miles north of the Kuwaiti border. And it was not far, Ur of the Chaldees was not far from the center of the Desert Storm War of 1991. So if you kind of know where that region is, it was not far from that. It was right in that general vicinity. It was an important seaport town 
for trade from India and Africa via the Persian Gulf. It was like most seaport towns, it was a wealthier town, and it was an area that was fit for raising flocks, so it wasn't surprising that Abraham would later raise flocks in Canaan and be very, very successful at it. He was very, very successful at it. When God called Abraham, now I want you to hear me when I say this, this is, this is essential. When God called Abraham, Abraham was an idolater. It's not surprising, Ur was the center of paganism of the day. And as we noted above, his father Terah was an idolater and he led his family into being idolaters. And scripture makes that very, very clear that his family practiced idolatry, which included Abraham. Terah had four or three sons, Abraham obviously being one of them. Joshua 24, 2 says, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your father's dwelt on the other side of the flood, Euphrates River is what he's talking about, in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, they served, the scripture says, other gods. Well, what gods did they serve? Probably they served, worshipped the stars and the moon. Why do you say that? Well, because they tell us that that area was very, very, and that area still to this day is very brilliant in uh, stars, and the stars are very bright, and the moon is very, very bright, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful area. And so that's what there is an assumption of that. But what we do know without a doubt is that they served other gods, and they served other gods. Though Abraham was separated from this by God's call on his life, The idolatrous practices clung to his brother, Nahor, and down to Nahor's grandson, Laban, which we could read about in Genesis chapter 31, and we'll study that, and and, and Nahor's daughters, Leah and Rachel, uh, granddaughters, I should say, Laban's daughters. I mean, make no mistake, the idolatry of Abraham's family had long-standing effects on the family. And I want to take a moment and just make this quick application. Don't think for a moment that you are inseparably tied to your family's background. No, hear, hear what I said. You're not tied to your family's background. Some people will go, well, you don't know about my family. Don't have to know about your family. I'm just going to tell you that the Bible is very, very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 15, uh, 16 and 17, where it says, what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Here's the idea. You're not tied to your family's mistakes simply because they are your family. If the grace of God frees you from the sin of your family, and the grace of God will always free you from the sin of your family, then if you will be free, you'll be free indeed. Indeed. 
We heard Zane's story about his upbringing and the struggles his family had. We heard John's story about his struggle and his upbringing. You say, well, that's unique to them. Oh, no, no, no. I could tell you about the Chadwick family and how that my dad was an alcoholic by the time he was 17. And my grandfather was an abusive alcoholic known in his town as the worst alcoholic in the area. And I have seven uncles and five of them were gross alcoholics. One of them was allergic to alcohol and the other one was almost an alcoholic. I mean, I could, we could tell stories about how the grace of God comes down and changes families. This is not unique to Abraham. God called Abraham out of a life of idolatry. And some people want to say this. Let me just stop and say, some of y'all come from different church backgrounds or whatever, and praise the Lord for that. But can I tell you this? Some people will say, well, God changed Abraham because of Abraham's character. That's garbage. There's not one shred of evidence in the word of God that God did something for Abraham because of what Abraham was or what Abraham did. God changed Abraham because of his abundant grace, because God determined for his glorification to change Abraham. And that's why God did what he did. No, no, hear me. Abraham wasn't like a good idolater. It wasn't like he was over here going, well, I'm doing this, but I'll just wait for the one true. No, 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 no. We have no inclination in Scripture that that was the character of Abraham. What we know about Abraham is that God, in his perfect foreknowledge, knew Abraham's response to him. But what we, we, we understand clearly from Scripture that Abraham didn't do anything to deserve the grace of God in his life, just like you and I didn't do anything to deserve the grace of God in our lives. Don't think for a moment, well, Abraham had something special going on with God. No, Abraham was a wicked idolater on his way to hell. And apart from the grace of God that ministered to him, just like the grace of God that ministers to us, Abraham would be lost and undone with no hope of eternal life. No hope at all. And by the way, I just tire of hearing people say, well, I would do something great for God, but for my family. Stop it. Stop it. Not, there's a lot of people in this room that are doing great things for God. And if you knew the true story of their family, even the two men that told their story, didn't tell all their story, I was, I was mad at them. John looked at me after he was done telling his story. He said, Pastor, what'd you think? I said, that's terrible. You only told a third of the story. You need to tell the whole story. And John's like, I can't tell the whole story. I get so nervous. And let me tell you, a dude was nervous. He got done telling his story, just a little bit of his story. He had sweat running, literally. I thought we had a water line break. There was sweat everywhere. He was shaking. He's like, I just don't like telling the story. So I've told him, I'm praying that God will allow you to tell the story of the grace of God in your life so that people will understand their background doesn't matter. It's the grace of God on their life that matters. Praise his holy name. And so, Abraham. Didn't come from a great background at all. <clears throat> Abraham's call, as I said, was entirely a work of grace, and we're going to see that. His call out of idolatry underscores the fact that he received this divine summons as a result of God's grace. As a result of God's grace. And anytime God calls, it is a result of God's grace. Have you
have you ever had your plans changed? Now, I'm kind of okay with that. It doesn't bother me, and praise the Lord, I'm married to Debbie, and, and it doesn't really bother her. I mean, we like having a plan, but our plans changing, or, well, that's just not the, it's just not something that affects us too much. But there are some people in the room that if your plans change, it ruins your whole month. You don't have to raise your hand. I know who most of you are, because right now you're looking at me mad, just at the thought of plans being changed, like, oh, no had a plan. I mean, I know some people, I mean, they will, they will go down with the ship of their plans. I mean, they'll just lose everything because that was their plan. This summer, Debbie and I, we were supposed to go on vacation. I'm supposed to preach in Hawaii. And then we have a friend who has a, a condo in, on one of the islands in Hawaii. And he's like, Hey, I want you guys to stay there. So we were going to preach for five days on Oahu. And then we were going to spend 16 days, uh, in the condo on a beach in a small island. And I thought, uh, this will be the trip of a lifetime. This is going to be amazing. I mean, how many of to you that sounds like fun? I mean, I just, it's awesome. Some people are like, Oh, no. I don't like Hawaii. I want to go to the cold of the mountains. Well, praise God for you. You can win another one of Bernie's stupid games he tries to play. But, but for me, I love the beach. I love sitting on the beach. I love hanging out on the beach, especially when you can go to a beach where nobody's at. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just a world of fun just to sit there and look out. And every time you start getting a little warm, you go jump in the, in the water and you walk back and you just say, I just love that, love that. And we'd been planning this for a year and a half. I mean, we, we had everything planned. We knew where we were going. It's, it's not a real occupied island. There's not any major motels there. Uh, you, there's no car rental agency. So we were pumped about just going kind of isolated and enjoying our time. We were going to have a great time. Well, then COVID happened. And so we are waiting. Are we going to get to go or not? Are we going to get to go or not? Are we going to get to go or not? And June came and I'm calling my friend like, hey, what do you think? Are you still having your meeting? Yeah, I'm planning on it, planning on it. I think we're going to be able to get you here. They're saying that probably by August, you'll be able to come in. August 1st. So, so I have, I had tickets bought. I had tickets and I was ready to fly to Hawaii and I, I had my tickets because you can't wait till the last day before you go because we're supposed to fly out on August the 3rd and the meeting started the, the 4th or the 5th. I can't remember. And so I had tickets bought, but we couldn't find out till August the 1st. And let me just tell you, we'd been through a lot of COVID stuff and, and obviously during that time, the church was kind of different during that era. And I was just ready to go on vacation. I mean, I'd never been more ready in my entire life to go on vacation and to get away from the staff of Canyon Ridge. And they had never been more ready for me to get away from them than any time in our history. I mean, we were just like, ah, we were like, we're like kids that have been around each other too much because we weren't able to do what we're supposed to do. How many of you know when your kids are around each other too much, like it's rainy days and they're just at each other? We weren't like that. We were just starting to do self-destructive things like, hey, who can eat this jalapeno the fastest? I mean, we do dumb stuff. We're doing a polar bear challenge next week. Not this week, but next week. And well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go jump in the ocean together, and the first one to get out has to buy lunch. So Bernie's buying lunch. 
Bernie's buying lunch. And so we, we just like to do fun, knuckle-headed stuff together, serve God, minister to people. We, we just enjoy doing it. And so I was ready to go. And then, then August 1st came and I called him, my friend, I called Brother King and I said, hey bro, what do you think? Am I going to be able to come or not? He goes, no. 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 I'm, I'm, just, I'm not kidding you. There was a part of me that just started crying on the inside. I was like, are you serious? I was like, come on, man. Can't you get me there? He's like, how am I going to get you here? You've got to land on a plane. Oh, and my plans changed. And so what did we do? We went up to Ventura, which is nowhere near as cool as Hawaii. And we stayed in a big motel there, which is not near as cool as being all by yourself. Now, the beach was beautiful and wonderful, and we had a wonderful, wonderful time. But I'm just, I don't normally mind it, but at that point, it was like, oh, Lord, are you really in control? Well, that's not a big deal, but what about when God changes the entire trajectory of your life? Notice in Abraham in verse 1 to 3 that it was an unexpected call. Abraham is, is in the place of Haran. His father had led him. If, you, if we were to go up and read verse 31 and 32 of chapter 11, they had left the southern area down by Ur of the Chaldees and they had went up to Haran. And we believe they went up to Haran for probably some form of financial gain because when they get to Haran, we understand that they... They got a lot more servants than they had at what seems like, and wealth was often determined by the number of servants that you had, that, that it seems like they did very, very well financially, and Haran would be uh, like in, in northern Jordan area of today, and, and, and north Israel, and, and uh, northeast Israel, but closer probably into the proximity of Jordan, and we, we say that because we have to, we don't know exactly, but that's what scholars tell us it would have been, and they're living in Haran and Abraham is doing well and Abraham is very very comfortable and Abraham is very very safe and things are going well and 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 he's amassed a huge amount he and his family have amassed a huge amount of wealth many people tell us he was probably the wealthiest man in the known world he would have been the Elon Musk or the Jeff Bezos of his day he, he had a personal army that rivaled nation states. I mean, he was a wealthy, wealthy man in a very, very comfortable place. I mean, life, if, if for lack of a better term, life was very, very good for him, humanly speaking. We would have looked and said, man, that guy has it together, and that guy is blessed, and that guy is having good things happen to him. I mean, he's just blessed in so many ways. And look at verse number one. The Lord said unto Abram, and here's the call of God in his life, get out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. God just says this, Abraham, I want you to leave that which is comfortable. I want you to leave that which is easy. I want you to leave that which, which you understand to be, be good. Abraham, I just want you to get out of your country. Get out from your kindred. Get out from your father's house. Leave the land of Haran. And I'll tell you where to go once you leave. You, you want what? 
Well, I want you to leave. Well, where do you want me to go? Well, I'll tell you that. And notice what else God says in verse number two. I mean, leave that which is comfortable. And then God says, and I'll, and I'll make of you a great nation. I mean, if you obey me, I'll make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I'll bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you. And in these shall all the families, I mean, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I mean, this is amazing because Abraham's 75 years old, and he doesn't have any kids. So I'm going to bless those that bless you, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. Well, how are you going to make of me a great nation? There's no way that you could make of me a great nation because it's me and my wife, Sarai, and she can't have any children. So, Lord, I mean, come on, what are you going to do here? A God that he, for all intents and purposes, as far as we understand, a God he didn't know. A God he had no previous interaction with at least from the biblical account. And God says, I just want you to leave and I'll bless you and I'll bless your obedience. And here's what God says, trust me, obey me, follow me. And if you'll trust and obey me and follow me, then this is what I'll do for you. This is what will happen. I'll make you a great nation. The wealthiest man in the world, he has an active army, an active on the ready army, like guys he could just call up of over 400 men, plus all the support people and all the support staff. I mean, everything else. And for that day, that was huge. That was massive. Uh, you just want me to leave? I just want you to leave. And so it's an unexpected call, but we see an expected response. An expected response. Verse number four, notice what it says. This is a, I love the simplicity and the de declaration of the scripture. Abraham, leave, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those that bless you. Well, Abraham prayed about it for nine months, and he took seven survey trips, and he went all over trying to figure all this stuff out, and he, he took coordinates, and he got a bunch of people together, and he had a big, huge council meeting, and he tried to determine, and he talked to his wife, and he talked to his chief of staff, and he talked to everybody else, and I'm not saying getting counsel's bad. We talked about that this morning. I'm not saying that's bad at all. I'm just saying that's not what Abraham did. Notice what the scripture says he did. Verse number four, so clear, so Abraham departed. Well, how did he depart? As the Lord had spoken unto him. That's how he departed. Well, where did he go? Well, he went where the Lord told him to. I mean, he just did what God said to do. Can, can I just say something here very clearly? Or may, let me rephrase it. Will you listen to something I'm about to say? When God tells you to do something, he expects obedience. He expects obedience. Some people think like, oh, God understands if I don't do this. Where do you see that in Scripture? No, when God speaks, he expects obedience. God, I, I wish some of y'all, you parents would, would discipline your kids like God says. Like God says it, and he expects it to be obeyed. I want some parents to say, no, don't do that. And you know full well, your kids don't believe it. You don't believe it. Nobody in the whole world believes it. You have no expectation that your kids will obey. And they don't expect to obey because you don't require it. If you'd require it, they would obey. Oh, amen. You mean my kids would obey if I expected it to, them to obey? Yeah, well, what if they didn't obey? Oh, you can make some things happen to change their expectation level. 
I'll say it again. You can make some things happen to change their expectation level. I see dads now. Sweetheart, come on, come on, sweetheart. Now, come on, come on. Please, please, please obey me. You don't see God up in heaven doing that. God's up in heaven going, you do this. I want you to do this. Get it done. I mean, that's just God's expectation. It is expected. It is expected of the Lord that you would obey him. It is expected of the Lord that you would listen to him. So God says, Abraham, I want you to get out. And Abraham gets up and he leaves. And he's 75 years old. And he leaves Haran. And who does he take? Well, he takes his wife. And he takes his nephew. And he takes their stuff. That's what the word substance means. is a Hebrew word for stuff that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, the servants that, well, for lack of a better term, that they had purchased in Haran, and they went forth into the land of Canaan. Unto the land of Canaan they came. God just said, Abraham, get out of here. And Abraham departed. He departed. I hear people talk like this is some new concept. This concept I'm about to talk about. It's made popular by the Philadelphia 76ers. And they say this. Got to trust the process. How many of you have heard that phrase? Trust the process. I just got to trust. As though that's some new thing. Oh, you got to trust the process. And I'll hear Christian, I hear pastors like preaching time. I knew one pastor preached 10 weeks on trust in the process. Like trust the process. Like we've never seen this truth before in all of human history. Trust the process. Come on, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. It's been around forever. Abraham, leave land, the land of Haran. And if you leave the land of Haran, this is what I will do for you. Abraham leaves the land of Haran and will ultimately God does everything that he says. Abraham trusted the process. Now, garbage. Abraham just obeyed God before there was some catchphrase to it. Just obeyed God. I guess I thought more of that than you guys did. I thought that'd be a better illustration for the point. I'm just tired of hearing people trying to take the words of God and try to make some cute little thing about it. Like, oh, we've got to make that cute so people can understand it. I don't think the average person has any problem understanding the word of God. I think sometimes negative Nelly Pants Christians are, are looking for some new way to come up with some new thing to say. So it seems like they have greater wisdom than they have. Here's the process. God speaks, obey you're blessed that's the process maybe I'm just getting old which my daughters tell me pretty fair pretty regularly well here's something God says Ephesians 5 28 so up men to love their wives as their own body he that loveth his wife loveth himself no man ever hated his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church you want God to bless your marriage well then love your wife like you love your own body because no man's ever hated his own flesh. I had a guy say to me one time, I have. So God's a liar? No, no, you've never hated your own flesh. You love your flesh just like I do. I'm just going to tell you right now, the most important person in the world to me is me. And it is to you too. <laughs> The most important. I'm telling you, I'm the smartest, I'm the best, I'm the greatest in my own mind. Even self-deprecating people find it appealing to their flesh to be self-deprecating. That's why God says no man's ever hated his own flesh. 
That's why the command is love your wife like you love your body. Put her needs above your needs. Put her desires above your desires. Stop it. It's the blessing. Trust the process. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Just trust the process. God will bless you. Just obey the Lord for crying out loud. He said it. Just obey the Lord. Don't treat your kids like jerks. Don't provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. What does nurture mean? How God speaks to you, speak to them. My kids don't always like that. Because again, God didn't, listen, if we study Genesis chapter 12, God doesn't give Abraham any explanation as to why he's doing what he's doing. I'm just going to bless you if you obey. Now go do what I told you to do. And we'll see through this study an aggregate amount of times where God doesn't tell Abram anything other than do this. Hey, Isaac, you love him. Oh, Lord, I love him. 17 years old. He's the promised son. Okay, I want you to take him up on top of that mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. You want me to what? The Bible says he prayed all night, and I think all night was, Lord, are you sure? Yeah. But God doesn't tell him anything. God doesn't tell him he's going he's to have an angel come down and grab his hand. God doesn't tell him he's going to provide a ram in the thicket. God doesn't tell him anything. God just says go, because when Abraham goes, according to the text that we'll read later, Abraham goes, and, and his whole point of going, he believes through the whole time that God will raise Isaac again from the dead. He has no idea, and God gives no explanation. God just simply says, go do it, and he expected him to obey. That's all God expected. Listen, when God speaks, obey. No, no, when God speaks, obey. Teenagers are like, oh, I don't think I have, I don't think that that's fair. I don't think that's fair. If you ask teenagers and, and young adults, that's their biggest question or their biggest statement in all the world. That's just not fair. Well, God doesn't say it's fair. It's not fair that Abraham has to leave Ur of the Chaldees. It's not fair that Abraham has to, has to leave Haran. It's not fair that Abraham has to offer up Isaac. It's not fair that Abraham doesn't have any children uh, by the time he's 75 years old. I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't fair, but God doesn't tell him to do what is fair. God tells him to do what God once done. I've got a lot more to say, but I don't have time. Well, how can Abraham accomplish all this? Well, look at verse 7 to 9. Abraham, leave her the cow, or, or, or leave your father's house. Leave Haran. Leave a place of great business success. Abraham, here's what God is saying. Abraham, when you leave here, it's going to cost you a ton of money. Abraham, this is not a wise financial decision for you. Take everything and get out of town. Okay, Lord. And take your wife, take your, your servants, and go to a land that I will show you. All right. Well, how is Abram going to do it? Well, look at verse number seven. Oh, verse number six. And Abraham, Abram, rather, Passed through the land unto the place of Shechem. Now, Shechem, we'll read later, is just a different pronunciation of the town Shechem. 
Shechem, I'll bring a map in next time. Shechem is just north of Jerusalem on a map. It's probably uh, 10 miles-ish, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but probably just in that general area. So Shechem is there, and 10 miles back in that day was a long time. I mean, they didn't have cars. I mean, 10 miles was basically an all-day walk. I mean, you'd walk about 17 miles a day, so about half of a day. If you went there and back in a day, that's that's a full-on day. And so Abraham gets up, and he takes his his family to the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. So he goes to the land of the Canaanites, and ungodly, some of the most ungodly people. I'll mention them in just a second, but he goes to the land of Canaan. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. I don't even have a son. What do you mean seed? Well, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he, Abraham, builded an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Well, what do you do in an altar? You don't just build an altar. The point of the altar is that it's a place of worship. So, so God calls Abraham to, to leave. It's an unexpected call. There's an expected response. Abraham gets up and he goes. Well, why was Abraham willing to get up and go? Well, because he was a man who was willing to worship the Lord. Oh, did you hear me? It was a time of worship with the Lord. Abraham didn't just consider this. He just didn't consider this another activity or another trip. He knew that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords had spoken to him. And when he left Haran and he goes to Shechem and he gets to Shechem, he builds there an altar and he worships the Lord. What does worship mean? It means to ascribe worth to, to determine worthy, a desire to obey. And here's what God said. God appeared unto him in verse number seven. And God says to him, now I'm going to give your seed this land. But I want you to notice the fourth word of verse number seven. And the Lord appeared unto Abram. Now, if you look over in verse number one, now the Lord had said unto Abram. He said in verse one. He appeared in verse number seven. Big difference between those two things. I'm not trying to make more out of this. But if somebody says something, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, good, good, good. If somebody walks over and looks you in the eye and says it, that increases the weight of what they said. Well, why would God appear unto Abraham? Well, because Abraham didn't have the word of God. And Abraham was going to live in the land of Canaan. And Abraham, in these patriarchal examples of the Lord God appearing, we learned about or heard a message about one the other day when Jacob was wrestling with God in a theophanies when, when, or Christophanies, depending on how you want to look at the text, when God is, is there with him. And, and in the land of Canaan, it was a very, very wicked, wicked place. And Abraham is going to be needing to be reminded that God has not only spoke to him, 
God has also appeared unto him. And in verse number seven, the scripture says this, God appeared unto Abraham. Abraham heard the word of God, an unexpected call. Abraham leaves the land in expected response. Why was he able to do that? Because he had a heart that was willing to worship the Lord when God would speak to him. God appears unto him. Abraham Abraham didn't have the word of God at the time. Abraham didn't have the scripture to go to at the time. I mean, think about living your life without the word of God. We are a blessed, blessed people. No, no, we are blessed people. That's why it, it saddens my soul when I, when I hear Christians who, who don't spend time in the Word of God every day, who don't spend time reading and memorizing the Word of God. I, I hear so many people say, well, if I could just talk to God, I've got a lot of things I would ask. Well, can I tell you that you can talk to God and you'll never exhaust the wisdom and knowledge of the Word of God. You'll never exhaust that. As a matter of fact, if you had an eyewitness account of the Lord, which you don't and no one has, no one's ever seen Jesus, us on this earth at this time in this age that's a guarantee not a single person has no one's ever seen God not on this earth not at this time not at this day and age no one ever has but even if you did Peter says this through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that the Bible is a more sure word of prophecy than your eyewitness testimony. Well, why does he say that? Because he was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, and he knew the Word of God was a more sure word of prophecy for himself. Abraham needed the Lord, and he builds an altar in verse 7, and then he goes a little further south, maybe somewhere around Jerusalem in verse number 8, and he builds an altar unto the Lord again, and he called upon the name of the Lord, and travels south, and there he builds an altar. I'm getting the idea. I mean, aren't you in this, in this brief study of nine verses, aren't you getting the idea that Abraham was a consistent worshiper of God? No, I mean, do you hear me? It wasn't a one-time event. It wasn't like he went to the altar once. No, this was a regular event for him. It was a regular event. To go to the Lord. How regular? Well, it seems like everywhere he went, in the, at least in the first couple of periods here, the, or, or sections here, that he's building an altar unto the Lord. He has a place where he can go for worship. He has a place where he can go and speak to the Lord. I mean, he's more concerned about time with the Lord than he has anything else, at least from the context of the account, that God is of, of tremendous importance to Abraham. And somebody might ask, Well, why would God change Abraham's plans? Well, could it be that God knew what his response would be? Well, we know that God would know because God is omniscient and God has perfect foreknowledge. So is it? Possible that God, knowing his response, was willing to change his plans? Now, but if I say it this way, God is going to change your plans. God will change your plans. And a heart of worship will let him. 
God, no, let me say it again. God will change your plans and a heart of worship will let him. Well, I don't know why God doesn't speak to me. Well, maybe God knows that, I mean, he is speaking to you through his word, but maybe he just knows that no matter what he says, you're just not going to do it anyway. I mean, God will change your plans and a heart of worship is going to let him. Hear what I'm about to say. As a pastor, sometimes, here's how I see the average Christian. I will not be moved. I will give this much to God. I will give this much to God. And I am not going to give any more to God. I don't care what people see. I don't care what people think. This is as far as I am going to go. I have plans written out for my life. These are my plans, and my plans will not be changed by God or anyone else. But I'm going to tell you this evening, God will change your plans. It's a guarantee. He'll change your plans. And a heart of worship will let him change your plans. A heart that's, oh, you're worthy of doing whatever you want with my life. You can change my plans. I was, we were having lunch uh, with um, Sam Davison, the, the Bernie, Trey, John, Bernardo, myself. We took that great Oklahoman to Korean barbecue. And Bernardo's a good Korean barbecue cooker, but he won't buy his own food. You have to pay for him. I'm kidding. He probably would. I, don't, I wouldn't know that. I would have no idea if he would ever pay for his own meal. I always have to pay. He tells me that. But we're talking to Brother Sam, and uh, through the course of the conversation, I think somebody asked the question, what was the most difficult time in your entire ministry? And as a pastor, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be someone that he loved passes away or something like that. And he mentioned some of those But then he said this, the most difficult thing in my life was, he goes this, he says this, these guys I think will remember it. He goes, I absolutely loved pastoring Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I had been there 16 years and I'd taken that church, he tells the story, when it was pretty much dead, it wasn't alive. And he goes, and in 16 years, and he said this, it's a lot like Canyon Ridge is. It's fun to preach to. Hasn't always been this way, but praise God for where we're at today and praise God for where we're staying, by the way. No, no, I said, praise God for where we're at today and praise God for where we're staying. That's just what we're going to be. And so he said, I, 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 I loved preaching there. I loved being there. And he said this, I thought I'd be there for the rest of my life. He said, and then God called me to go somewhere else. And he looked at me and he said, now, Chris, he didn't say all these words, but he and I, we had a connection. He said, imagine if God called you to go somewhere else. I was like, oh, dude, I could move away from Bernie. You, no, I'm kidding. I didn't say that at all. I, I, I wouldn't say that for a thousand years. Just kidding. I, I was like, oh. And my soul just grieved for a minute at how difficult that decision had to be because of his undying love for that church. And then God called him to go somewhere else. He could have rejected the call of God and he could have stayed in that place. But when God changed plans, 
Hear me. A heart of worship let him change the plans. For some people, I don't want to over-apply this, but whenever you preach a message like this, invariably there'll be people who go, oh, I think God wants me to move somewhere. No, no, in San Diego, it's probably the exact opposite. That the change of plans, no, I think I want you to stay there and invest your life in a liberal city that's going a liberal direction with a, with a, 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 a egregious amount of lost people in it. And I, and I want you to give your life to seeing people come to Christ in that town. But I had plans. I was talking to Emily the other night. I said I could sell my house in, in San Diego and I could move to Texas and I could buy a mansion and still have money left over. They probably pay you to live in Texas. It's such an ugly place. And then she goes, but have you seen how dirty and ugly it is? I'm like, yeah, okay, you got a point. But we have plans. But God will change them. And a heart of worship will let him. A heart of resistance won't. Let me put this to you this way and I'll be done. If you have a heart of worship to the Lord, allowing him to do in your life whatever he wants to do in your life, your life at 45 or 50 or 55, or maybe for some of you that are older, 90, or whatever age you're at, will not look like what you planned it to look like. And not because you orchestrated the change, but you allowed God to orchestrate the change. Abraham, oh, God's going to change your plans. You see, I'm, I, I titled this The Difficult Journey of Faith. Everything that I read said The Wonderful Journey of Faith. But the journey of faith is not always wonderful. Sometimes it's crummy. Sometimes it's challenging. We'll see a lot of difficult moments. Now, in the end, it's going to be wonderful. The end state's going to be wonderful. But it's not always wonderful. Sometimes walking with God, you want me to leave Haran? Yeah, take everything that you have and get out. When do you want me to leave? When did I say it? Well, you said it today. All right, tomorrow sounds good. You want me out tomorrow? Yeah, and by the way, that's kind of the structure of the sentence. God spoke, and as quickly as Abraham could, he was out of Haran. Where do you want me to go? I'll tell you when you get there. Okay. So Abraham travels hundreds of miles, days and days of travel, to get from Haran to Shechem with a huge group of people. And then when he gets there, then God appears unto him. And then God starts giving him direction. The life of faith is a difficult journey sometimes. Make no mistake. But it is a journey worth having that you will love with all your heart if it is a heart born out of worship for him. So the question of the night is then this. Do you worship him enough to let him change your plans? Young people, do you worship him enough to let him determine what will happen with your life?
Parents, do you love him enough to let him determine what will happen with your kids' lives? Or do we, ah, right here, as far as you can go. Oh, God will change your plans. And a heart of worship will let him change. Pastor, what are you speaking about? Nothing. I got nothing in mind specifically. I really, just as you exposit that passage of scripture, you have to come to a very, very similar conclusion. You can't come to a different conclusion. You might have different words, but the conclusion and the idea is going to be the same. That's the beauty of expositional preaching. I mean, you might go at it from a different angle or whatever, but you have to get to this idea that God's going to change your plans and a heart of worship is going to let him change the plans because he's worthy of changing the plans. Why? Because he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the all-knowing, omniscient, omnibenevolent, omnipresent God who is our guide. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.